Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. I'm Sean Hennessy. I'm the senior pastor of Life Church here in Green Bay, and I'm joined as always by my bride and my co-host, Sonny Hennessy, who is the lead pastor here at Life Church in Green Bay. So, welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. No guests today, but I said in some captions of some posts, which I'm more on Instagram than you are, and I'm not even that much. I said, we're going there. We're going there. We're going there. Wherever there is. Okay, so I, I'm going to start us off. You preached a message a few weeks back. You were We were in Toronto. We're um, partnered with the church in Toronto as well. And you preached a message in a spiritual warfare series. And you can, you was it Pride and Joy? Is that the name of it? Where you said yes. Lucifer means? Yes. Okay. So if someone wanted to look at Toronto, New Life Church, Pride and Joy... It's a great message, but you said this, and I just can't get this out of my teeth, as you would say. I can't quit chewing on this, (laughs) and it keeps coming up in my conversations that I have with people that you said, Lucifer means light bearer. Yeah. And so the following week after you preached that message, I was at our newly finished, almost finished, we're in phase two of phase of three phases. Yeah, one building is finished. One building's finished. So we did two retreats and we had a retreat where we had three different women who had come from marriages that there was a moral failure. There was an offense on, uh, there was an uh, affair on, I was going to say an offense. It was offensive, but an affair on all three uh, women. And they're now living in the aftermath. All of them you know, struggling financially, struggling with their children, going through this. And all of them at this retreat were like, there was just a point where I saw my husband just go from who he was, because I don't think he was always that man, to this, this line he crossed over that it was... And they were trying to put a name to it because we're so fatigued by hearing and saying the word celebrity pastor. Right. But all of them would have been married to, honestly, what some would have considered a celebrity pastor. And it hit me. It was that if Lucifer, his pride came right before a fall, and the Bible warns us pride comes before a fall. We talk about the rise after the fall because we're talking about falls. That if Lucifer meant light bearer, then are we at a line we have to be careful of when we or people put us on a pedestal, put us on a stage, and it turns into celebrity pastor, possibly when we get to that point of pride where we become a light bearer. Simon Cowell would say it this way. You, you have the, whatever he used to say back the in the day, factor. the it factor, the X factor, the, you know, you just go, how does this guy yep. he, or this woman, there's some of that, but yep. how did, let's stay on mail today because let's just admit it. It's 90% of the times we're talking to celebrity pastor where it's this male who you're like, I mean, he is a great speaker. He just has it. Yeah. And so is that light bearer, is that a curse that we could have the it thing that we could step over the line of we're light bearer? Yeah, I think it's a danger anytime that you believe your own press. It's challenging when you're talented to keep it in check. Mm-hmm. I mean, naturally, our lots of people's proclivity is to is to function in pride. I said in Toronto as a part of that message that insecurity is pride in its ugliest form. Mm. Insecurity is not believing that God can make you what 
he said he would make you. And pride is believing that you're more than God made you. Mm. So I think Lucifer, when he struggled with pride, believed that he was more than God had created him to be. He was meant to be a reflection. Not a bearer. Right, a reflector of God's light, a reflector of God's glory. And we, and we are all called to do the same thing. And in that message, I said that the opposite of pride is not humility. The opposite of pride is worship. That's how we counteract pride. But the challenge is when you are a celebrity pastor or as Lucifer was, the worship leader in heaven, he received worship rather than released it. Mm. And it's easy to receive worship and the more you receive worship, the more difficult it is to release worship. Wow. So we have to be very intentional when we are people who are particularly gifted to be intentional worshipers. But you also, I love that you said insecurity is the ugliest form of pride. It's masked. Also, these women, and I love that I'll never, will never expose who these women are or who their husband is. Right. Um, but but they're more than case studies. They're in our life getting healing and help and hope. Yeah. Um, and we're even, next mission is raise funds to help support them. Um, one, you know, is living in a hotel and there's some that are um, literally just waiting to have their last mortgage payment, you know, not be enough anymore. And so they they are real humans. And what they said is that it wasn't even that behind closed doors, their husband was prideful. He actually was so insecure. Many times they they were, their husband was struggling with depression, with suicidal ideations, with I'm so insecure so they said it It was weird because it was like pride, but yet to them, they could see the insecurity. They could see that their husband felt like an imposter. Mm. Well, you have to become a conduit. Otherwise, you'll become a cesspool. And if you don't let the worship flow through you, but you let it stop with you, then it will spoil. Because mm. it was we were never intended to be recipients of worship. But I mean, we receive, you and I, we receive lots of adulation from people. And we have to be very intentional in letting that adulation pass through because what they're adoring or worshiping isn't us. They're worshiping the gifting that God put in us. And without him, we wouldn't have that gift. And so when you're insecure, you have to release worship. You have to recognize who you are in him. I think years ago, I mean, I've struggled with insecurity my whole life. I've struggled with depression. I've struggled with suicidal ideations, all of those things. But I think in the middle of our fall, what I realized is when all of the voices were silent, when you go from having the roar of a crowd to the pulse of silence, mm -hmm. it's deafening. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I had my fall, Almost everyone walked away. Every opportunity that I had, every stage that I had to stand on and to go from being on a stage in an arena that the, the crowd is so big that the lights are blinding and you can't see them to making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for your kids and driving them in a $3,000 car to school, that's a big difference. But in that silence, 
what I discovered is that I really did love Jesus. Sometimes guys get so swept up so fast in their success that they forget what they're successful in. You're successful in ministry. You're successful in pointing people to Jesus. And I lost sight of that because the worship stopped with me. Mm. And when it stopped with me, it spoiled in me. And when it spoiled in me, it spoiled me. And so suddenly I was not a conduit of worship. So in the moments where you didn't have worship, that's when you find yourself alone in a hotel room or you find yourself alone in an office or, you know, wherever it may be. If you a person who travels a lot, then you find yourself alone in hotel rooms. And there's this huge rush of adrenaline when you're on the stage. And then you'll see lots of people who are very good on stage. They're very morose off stage. That's why when you hear stories about rock stars who committed suicide, they were, they were needing to take something to bring the high of the stage down. And then they were needing to take something to get themselves back up to be able to get onto the stage. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that happens in ministry too. But what I realized when, when there were no voices worshiping me, that my voice was capable of worshiping him. Mm -hmm. And you were emptied out. And I think that's the difference of we're a vessel, not a light bearer. Right. So we're to reflect the light, not to bear it, not to to own it. it. We're a vessel. And if we can see ourselves as an empty vessel that was made by the potter's hand that should empty out of us and fill with him all the time, it's ongoing. So we're a vessel, not a light bearer. But when you said the silence was deafening and you found yourself alone, but then really alone, we've looked back and said, greatest thing that could have happened is that people walked away, people called you up and said, are you still an a-hole? My pastor. Yeah. We don't need to say people. The Mm. single most influential man in my life whom I had never heard even speak ill or negative of someone, called me and asked me if I was an a-hole. I could, first of all, I couldn't believe he said that word. And when I said, I didn't know that I was, he asked me if you and I were back together. I said, no. He said, then you're still an a-hole. Don't ever call me again until you and Sonny are back together because I don't talk to Mm a-holes. And and it it was just like this, like we all need somebody in our life. We need a Fulton Buntain in our life. I'll say his name. He is... Yeah, I, uh, his grandson, John Fulton, sent, or JF, he sent me a thing that was from YouTube. And and it wasn't a video, but it was like a picture of a cassette. And it was an old sermon of pastor. And I played it in the car with our son Isaiah and I. And the message was from, I don't know, the 80s. But it was how to have a winning mindset. And it was the difference between winners and losers. And just the sound of his, I just cried. The sound of his voice because number one, he was a huge spiritual influence in my life. And number two, he was a huge source of accountability in my life in that conversation. Well, and I want to point this out. When David sinned, because many will say, I mean, there was a rise after the fall for David, but you can point to David for both. David was good, then David and Bathsheba, and then David... God's, you know, he goes down in history as a God, a man after God's own heart. But when David sinned, David wasn't out on the battlefield like kings were supposed to yep. be, like he'd always been. In the time of year when the kings are at war. He was back at the palace. He had, and really, where was his accountability? You're a king. His accountability were the men around him. He's the king. He's the top. 
Now there's prophets. Luckily in the Bible, God said, okay, here's a king and then I'm gonna assign a prophet. And this prophet comes in and warns and that ended up happening for David, but his accountability were the men around him and he stayed back. And so, yes, what we want, what we should have is a Fulton Buntain, someone who's gone ahead of us, someone who's not too young or your own age that's scared to call you out. But sometimes it's that you go ahead and let those around you. David had men under him that could have kept him accountable and said, that's Uriah's wife. I wouldn't call her up here. And first of all, David wouldn't even have been out on the balcony had he been where he was supposed to be instead of where he was. And there are some people that listen to this that, you know, you're the one. And we, we've we been saying, call us, yep. text us, go to the website. We're here and people are reaching out. But there's also some people listening that you have some people in your life that they don't know it, but their soul and God is pleading with you to say something. Yep. And you think that they're untouchable. You think that they don't want to hear from you. But you've quoted Fulton Buntain and you've quoted one other person over and over again that they called up and said, I will have nothing to do with, like you're so in the wrong. Yep. And it shocked you to where now 15 years later, you still quote them. You're not thinking about the few people that did hang around and said all of the nice things to you. When I quote Pastor Buntain, I never quote good quotes. Right. I always quote confrontational quotes because it takes great love and great sacrifice. It takes selflessness to hold someone accountable. We all have people in our lives who who they need someone to say something difficult. And it's challenging to say something difficult. It's uncomfortable. And quite frankly, that may... that may negatively impact the relationship. It may end the relationship. But I would rather have a relationship end over truth than a relationship live over a lie. Right. And and truth to the point, like, let me point out, both of those pastors said, if you're not back with Sonny, it wasn't, it, it wasn't even where you could say, yeah, I'm doing good with Jesus. God's good. He's given me a lot of grace. Theirs was like, the fruit is, how's your marriage? Are you with your kids? Are you in the same state? Yeah. So right now what we have, and this is where I'm going there, is that we have some grand examples of how you can leave your spouse, not miss a beat, not get out of the pulpit, not take a break. We've talked about that. You need to step away. If you're in sin, step away now. If you've already been in sin and you're having an affair, you're not fit for the pulpit. We've said this. Like me saying that is not me outing a bunch of pastors. However, we now have some really, really great examples <laughs> of men who have missed a beat, um, who, who maybe stepped away from, some who've never stepped away from their pulpit. Their wife and kids are gone. They've, they have, not, they have um, they've moved on to door number two. Yeah, they've are, they're with their mistress. Um, unfortunately, I have five women that I won't say that are just popped into my head that right now their husbands have already married the mistress they had the affair with who's now the first lady of the church, five that I know of. And I don't know everybody that they not only didn't step out of the pulpit, they replaced the wife that is the mother of the children with the mistress And that person is now the pastor's wife. And what 
they would say is, well, I'm married. Like I'm legally married. Like that makes it okay, right? Like, so marijuana is legal and in, you know, Seattle is going to be heroin's legal soon. That doesn't make it right or good. Uh, And then, and then it, that is an example of you don't, I remember the day when Jim Baker and he had, you know, it was sexual stuff and it was money stuff, but he ended up in jail. Yeah, and it Jimmy was a, Swagger. It was, a wreck, yeah. it was a wreck, and there wasn't social media, but it was it was such a wreck that you knew. I knew it as a young kid. Well, it was just so, on regular TV. It was so out of left field for back then. It was so. It, it was like unimaginable. Yeah, it was like these guys, as you said, you put them on a pedestal, and they're such men of. Uh, uh, the representations of Jesus esteem, to people, but yes. I, even just like in the in the esteem of who they are culturally and, and just to see, it was like an unimaginable thought, not that they would have a fall, but that they would, that they would even have some sort of that kind of a sin in their life. And now it's almost just become so, I don't want to say it's become common, but it's, be, it's certainly become far more common to start hearing about pastors who are having moral failures. So that's like, that's door number one. That's unfortunate. Like, I mean, it's, unfortunate is not even a strong enough word. It's, it's ridiculous. It's an affront to Jesus yeah, and the church. It, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous that there is, there are so many examples where, like you said, you could pick, like in the 80s or whenever that was, like you could pick out two. I wasn't even a believer then and I knew about and those And you dudes. knew if you ever wanted to be a pastor, man, be careful. You'll end up like Jim Baker in prison. Now, there's no be careful. Now, Let's just list all of the the Christian artists and the pastors who new wife, new life. Yeah. <laughs> and they're still in the Christian realm. Well, that's door number one is the yeah. fact that it's crazy that there are so many examples that you could come up with with guys who have had moral failures. And then number two, which is such a it's such an such easy a thing white to say wa- now. Mm-hmm. Such a whitewashed word for having an affair. Like we don't call things what they are anymore. Now, you had sex with the wrong woman. Yeah. You had you had sex with someone you weren't married to. And oftentimes in those relationships, you had sex with a woman who someone else was married to. So now you cause two families to be And children broken are scattered down. everywhere. And, and so like, let's, like, like, listen, I know that we've had, don't get me going there. Come on, baby. I, I know that we've had, uh, Quite honestly, we had one podcast. We're not going to talk about what the name of that podcast was, but we've had some pushback on that podcast. And uh, not by women. I'm just saying that there's been pushback on that that particular podcast, and we we could have had a number of other people who were on that had that same story and the the thing that but the thing that frustrated me about the pushback on that particular podcast was that it was an it was a it was nitpicky right like it was like oh well this person said something about finances and that w- wasn't quite true what they'd said or it was misconstrued what they said even though the person didn't say that their church wasn't taking care of them anymore the point of the entire podcast was that that person lost their entire spiritual undergirding that they weren't allowed to go to their church anymore and so this is what's getting lost in nuance we live in nuance and men of power love to live in nuance because the, the challenge of being in a church where you don't have anyone local on your board 
is you better have people of integrity on your board. So you can't, it can't just be this like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of culture that you have going on. There has to be some sort of accountability, someone on your board who will call you out, who will call you to account. And so this idea of people being put out, whether it be a man or a woman being put out and they have to lose their spiritual foundation, like they're not even allowed to go to that that particular church anymore. That's not a nuance. That's like, man, this, this guy had an affair. So now his wife doesn't get to go to that church anymore. So that's that's door number one. It's terrible. It's deplorable. Are you telling me that if I had an affair, you <laughs> you don't you don't not not only okay, well, you're gonna lose your job, mm-hmm. which like, okay, if the CEO of Kraft Foods has an affair. His wife doesn't. And, and let's say his wife works there, which sometimes in the corporate world, they don't allow that. But point being, let's say his wife worked there. They wouldn't fire her. just because, So like, yes, you lose your job. But worse than that is now you lose your spiritual community. But here's the door number two. There are guys who are having affairs with women who are on their staff and then that woman who's on the staff divorced her husband who was on staff. So he lost his job. The, the senior pastor's wife lost her job. Now the, the senior pastor marries a staff pastor. And now the staff pastor, who was a woman, like you said, not, she doesn't only become the first lady. All of a sudden, she's the executive pastor because that's the model. And it's been our model, which is fine. It's You're a better leader than I am, so you lead the staff. So I understand that, but I go, so now this woman who was the wife of the husband who- Uriah. <laughs> who had the, uh, an affair. I would. I want to say some stuff that mm. would have to be- so, so track with me. So the woman who founded the church with this man is now out. Her kids are out. Take the finances out of it. She can't come back, can't show her face. Even if that husband left the church- she can't show her face. But what's worse is she had to leave, but he didn't. He got his bump and grind on with the wrong person, but she had to, but but the one who didn't have an affair had to leave, but the one who did have the affair got to stay. So not only did he stay, now he took the woman that he had the affair with and he elevated her. And now the woman who founded the church with this man has to sit on the sidelines and watch this woman host girls' conferences and get up on stage and make— And have speakers in that hopefully just don't know this because yeah, I wouldn't want these speakers tied to it. Like it's just become <laughs> such a sordid web. So then door three, the woman who— the wife, who the original wife, who the husband had the affair on her. She didn't have the affair. Now— Powerful men, this is not one. We're ta- I'm talking in, in maybe under a dozen of personal stories I know. The board for that church, the men, are trying to pick apart and character assassin the wife and trying to justify that the senior pastor had grounds to have an affair on his wife. They don't say it that way. But yeah. like, well, but it takes two. And I've heard these women say, and I wasn't perfect. I know it takes two. I'm like, you need to stop. They will not acknowledge that there isn't a reason that an affair is okay. 
And there's a- Zero. Zero. There is character assassination upon the wife that was divorced, that was thrown away. In the Bible, this wouldn't have been allowed. Right. And and now it's character assassination. Well, well, she did get some money. Well, she got well taken care. Okay, did we just lose- the whole side of the fact that this man is living in sin, he's in a pulpit right now yep. preaching. Whether it's in his own church or somebody gave him a platform right. in another pulpit. Because right. as Kendall Bridges openly said first season, I had people, a couple people, powerful men, who would call and say, I can have you back in the pulpit in three months. He's like, Starla won't look at me. Yeah. I'm more focused on Starla. And our marriage, and Kendall is an example of his rise, yeah. his church it was incredible. is a bigger rise than before his fall because Kendall was like, my wife deserves to not say I love you. My wife deserves to put me through some stuff because I put her through some stuff. Yeah, and that's the challenge of doing a podcast like this, the rise after the fall, is that I didn't think it would be as difficult to find people who've done a rise. Mm. But it's really easy to find people who've done a fall. Or those who... They should fall all the way, but right now they're still in their pulpit. Right. And, and so- Well, I would say if you've had an affair, whether you're in your pulpit or not, you had a fall. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is there's examples. I mean, there's a, a well-known person from Australia who now just does photo ops with all kinds of pastors. And I think it is his way, whether he knows it or not. I know it's working for me, for me to know who all agrees with him and who all thinks it's okay that you can, I mean, you mix, you know, drugs and alcohol. And I mean, how could I have helped it? Well, first of all, why are you mixing drugs and alcohol? What got you to a point of an antidepressant? What got you to a point of mixing alcohol with an antidepressant? Right. And And, I think that now now you're an example of, oh, there's a preaching circuit for him. Right. And I think that there are people who... I mean, they need to be medicated like that. So it's not, I know that you're not saying like you're not dogging the antidepressant thing, right. but but there is nobody who needs to chase that with whiskey. Right. Or anything, like, you know even, what I'm saying? Even so rock like, stars yeah. know that. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, we come from the generation and I'm, I'm not going to sit on here and placate about alcohol or the, that use of whatever. But like, I'm, like we came up in a generation, like if you're part of certain denominations or fellowships you're not allowed to do that but then it's kind of like uh it, the 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 bigger the church you know or people it's a know about country. it we do that know, over right. there or i'm saying that people will mm-hmm. know about it they'll hear they say you know oh uh so and so you know i mean so and so drinks you know uh, yeah. mm-hmm. but why it's why would it ever be slope. why would it ever be oh you know if that's one of the so here's the thing that i'd say like i'm i'm not a guy that i, I don't i don't think if you have a drink or if you whatever that you're going to go to hell or whatever. No. But what I do, what I do think is if it's a rule, if it's a rule within your covering of your church that you should not drink and you drink, the sin isn't the alcohol. It's the, it's the fact that you just broke it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're talking about guys that are committing adultery and people that are turning their eye to it. I mean, of the 600 plus rules in the Old Testament, they narrowed it down to 10. And in the 10, it was so important. They said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, it's, it's, I don't understand how we can, 
bypass that, how we can, how we can overlook adultery. Are, are there guys that are going to make mistakes? Are there guys that are going to fall? Are there guys that are going to sin? Yes. But the point is that there needs to be a sense of, of accountability yes. where a guy will come in and there are, there are powerful pastors who, who I know at least have listened to this podcast, but they only listened to it because they were mad at us. Yeah. And, and if that's the case for this particular episode, can I just say, sir, ma'am, there are people that you have underneath your influence that if you were to come out and say, you need to sit down, mm-hmm. they would sit down. Yep. And, th- yep. and here's the thing. That's the heart of this thing that we're talking mm-hmm. about, this restoration program that we're talking about. We're not trying to out people. We're, we're not trying to be whistleblowers. We're trying to restore people who need restoration. We are to the point where we have said, we'll give you a place to live. We'll financially support you. All you got to do is just repent. Just take the time off. And I get it. It is, it's, it's, it's intoxicating. The stage is intoxicating. But when I stepped away from the stage, it was like, I almost didn't want to go back because I felt this sense of freedom to where I was like, oh man, I was really full of myself. And when you realize the ways that you're living in, there, there has to be a set. Like I, like, I, I, like I was mourning what I had done to you, to our kids. And until there, there becomes like, like you've called it this guttural repentance. This lamentation, the Bible has a whole book right. about lamenting. We can lament over ourselves and our own sin, but when we won't acknowledge our sin, when we will admit with asterisks, when we'll... <clears throat> justify our actions because our marriage wasn't good, we stand up and preach and say, there's hope for your marriage. Yeah. But then we didn't get help for ours. And there is no, there's no way out of that. And you said, we're not whistleblowers. Absolutely. We didn't get into this to be whistleblowers. In fact, this podcast came in response to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which to me sounded like all whistleblowing, all let's empty out mega churches, all against celebrity pastor. And that made me not even want to be in the ministry. Anymore. I know it made us go, <laughs> man, we don't know that, you know, if anything, we were trying to back the church. We were trying to say, the church is still the and hope. And we still are. <clears throat> and we are. But what I've realized is that we're not the whistleblowers, but there are people out there that are and should be, and they don't have to whistleblow publicly with the news. They can whistleblow on a phone directly to the pastor that is in the midst of, and, and you might feel like it's too late. I could have reached out a year ago to so-and-so. You can still do it. Because maybe God has gotten that person to a to a different point, maybe a point of repentance where they have come like the prodigal son to the end of themselves. And now is the time that you can be the whistleblower directly into someone's life because what we want to do is defend the church, defend the bride. In fact, I want to point out, I think that the bride is under attack. The bride is the church. And I don't, and Jesus wasn't saying the bride is non-gender. The bride is male or female. The bride was feminine, right? Am I right? He talks about the bride and the bridegroom. Well, yeah, it's a bride. Okay, so it's feminine. So there's okay. two. There's so, a bride and a bridegroom. Right? One has to be a, a so female. So Jesus came for the bride, the church. There's a femininity to that. The church is under attack. I just want to point that out. I'm not trying to say God is a woman and go all extreme. What I'm saying is there is a femininity to, Jesus is saying, 
I, I defend my church. Well, if we're to be like Jesus and act like Jesus, then I'm here to say the way Jesus wants the church it needs to be defended, which means that the pulpit needs to be pure and that right. there needs to be standards. Um, I believe the bride is under attack. And I will go as far as to say, because I'm not off base on this, that women, and I'm not talking me too or feminism, you know me. I am like, thank you for pushing me forward. And I can acknowledge a lot of the positions I have, if not all of them have come because you said she might be a woman, but it doesn't matter. She is capable. But um, the, the women that right now, I'm talking suffering the attack of, they, they have, okay, this is what happens. A woman is afraid that her kids will find out something more negative about their father. And I hear these women say, but that's their dad. So the, the wife, the ex-wife is not wanting the dad to be even more um, painted as a worse picture of the kids. Also, there's legal proceedings. So if the woman says too much, her kids could get taken away. Those things are being threatened. Um, if she's going to get some kind of a settlement, which why couldn't she? It's, I mean, in a regular marriage without the church involved, there's usually child support, alimony. So they're tied up in court. So the voice is stifled. I think the church, the bride, the church's voice has been skewed and it looks ugly because we don't have pure pulpits. And then you have women who their voice are stifled because they're trying to save face for the father of their children. They care about that. While they're being painted, not, not all, but many, we're talking about specific cases, but there's a lot of them. They're being, um, their character is being assassinated and yet they're trying to protect the man still so that the husband or the dad looks better. And then they're, they're being careful so that they don't end up with even less money than they had. And so, you know, I mean, Beth Moore just got kicked out of the SBU and Saddleback just got kicked out of the SBU. SBC. SBC, which stands for Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. Because she was a female, Beth Moore. Uh, Saddleback, because they have women ministers. You know me. I've often said, in fact, I'll preach things like, ladies, we need to be more submissive. We need to not think we wear the pants in the family. It doesn't work. It feels out of order. You want, you want your man to be your protector provider. You want to be a helpmate. Like that's my, that's my, my spiel and my platform as a strong woman that it works better and feels better to be submissive in the way that God said. So I am not the opposite of that, but you know, this is a real thing and voices and women's voices are being stifled even within the church when, when they are saying, I need to speak up, but I have too much to lose. It, it's just what it is. I, we, I actually, I serve at a church as the executive pastor hybrid style right now. And five people left the church this past week because they don't believe in women in ministry. The only change was I came in six, seven months ago. Yeah, and what's interesting is that the church has grown significantly and the giving in the church is up significantly since you've been in leadership, but you had a handful of old men who didn't want to lose control. They ran certain things within the church and, and now they looked at it like they were going to lose their grip because there was, it wasn't even that there was a new sheriff in town. It was like the, nothing has changed here. We've, the pastor is still the pastor. 
You're the executive pastor. The only thing that's changed is that there is a woman somewhere that they would say in authority. And it's just such an old head way of thinking. It's almost like the good old boys club. We have been approached um, by three different major men who have power in our life who have said, and they've all in the end ended the phone call with you the same way. And I called this out recently because they're the first two was, was right after our most, you know, um, controversial podcast, the first two phone calls, but they ended the call the same way. And then just last week, there was a phone call to someone on our lead team, you know, to get to us. And he ended the call the same way. And I said, Sean, these two things are coupled every time. And I'm just going to look at them as signs and confirmation that they're not from the voice of God and that we don't give in. And what they would say at the end of the call besides take the podcast down, get the podcast down. And we're like, there's women and children 20 years later that are Instagramming saying, thank you for giving a voice. We suffered for 20 years. My mom lived in an apartment with us because our dad married his mistress. And 20 years later, we- You're I, saying they were saying this. Th- I was saying, yeah. I was saying to you that- we have had all this good input from women and children yeah. who said, thank you for the podcast. But these three men were saying, take the podcast right. down, take the podcast down. And you were rebutting with, this is actually helping women and children, yeah. just even healing to know they're not alone, that Satan wasn't out to get them. God wasn't out to get them. Like, wow, we're talking about it. These three men all finished the conversation with two things. One was, this isn't going to go well for you and your church. I was like, wow, that's a threat. And number two, you know, you really should define what the exchange collaborative is for and what who you're called to, who's your audience. Yeah, know your target market. Who Know your target market, which leaves us. So it questioned our calling and, and, it, and it put into uh, action fear. Like, here's a threat. It's not going to go well for you and your church. There's a threat. There's fear. And then questioning our calling. We feel called to help the hurting. We want to help pastors and leaders who are going through a fall, who can keep from going through a fall, or who already did. That's it. Yeah. And their whole family. But all three, without talking to one another, questioned that call. And then ultimately what they were saying is, um, you're going to not have men come to you because you've got a voice for women. Like, we've never been about being against the man. We're here for the man, but we're here for the family too. But what's interesting is that a lot of these ladies that we're talking about, they're they're like kind of the new form of doing church is when you plant a church, you do it as a couple. And t- and a lot of these couples, they're like us, where the the woman is equally as gifted as the man. Maybe she's gifted in something different, but she's equally as gifted. And so she's doing the heavy lifting on the front end just alongside her husband to try to get this thing off the ground. So, you know, even when the churches are big, she holds a title of co-pastor or executive pastor. And, and so because the pastor had an affair— They've lost their job. Let's just let's just make it practical. Because the because their their husband had an affair, or say it like this: because their senior pastor had an affair, they lost their job as executive pastor, or they lost their job as lead pastor. 
And so we've talked about that. This is a fall. This is, this is an injustice that this person lost their job. I'm just being practical. So just hold on. I got a point. They've lost their job because of what someone else did. So we've talked about that. They just happen to be married to each other. If, if we had somebody on this podcast who was Jim Smith, and Jim Smith founded a church with his best friend, and he became the executive pastor, or he was the co-pastor, or the lead pastor, and the senior pastor, David Johnson, had an affair, and Jim Smith lost his job because his pastor had an affair, but the pastor kept his job, every man on earth would be like, what in the world is going, how could you have lost your job? They would literally, people would be up in arms about it. But because not just it's a woman, but because they were married, why is it right for her to be the victim of his sin? Multiple times over. Right. Just like it, it isn't right. I'm just talking from a practical standpoint when you, I don't even know how that's, how that could get through HR. Well, there's no legal standing because these women have no grounds. They, they, moral isn't legal in this country. So that's why men of power, organizations, denominations, fellowships, networks, men, women stand up and step up for some of these women who have, they have no legal grounds. That I keep saying, what can we do? What, what can I do? What can we do? They literally are like, we have to stay silent so we don't lose the court case, which we've, one person's put $40,000 so far. And now two lawyers have said, you don't have the money to pay me. I can't, I can't stay with you anymore. And, and, and they're getting sued by the husband still in the pulpit. This one particular case, he's suing her. (laughs) But I'm like, but there's people, there's men of power. I I just wish I could call out their names so they'd listen to this podcast. But we won't. But we won't. I know you're stopping me. Who could make the call because you know you are a powerful pastor in this nation. And you know that there are men in their pulpit. There's, there's a man in his pulpit right now that he has two board members, him and a family member. First of all, that's, that's not, not even illegal. Even, right. So I asked this wife, can I call the IRS? Can I report it? The problem is that she's named on a bankruptcy lawsuit against the church. She will suffer. If this, so see the web that is woven, but isn't that sin? There is a, a woven web yeah. to this all. Well, another t- a side note of it is like uh, when that woman's husband has an affair and he's a powerful person supported by powerful people, then she then has a scarlet letter on her. Even though she didn't commit anything, she has a scarlet letter on her. And the difference is, let's say I worked at a church. And let's say the pastor had an affair and uh, I lost my job somehow because of it. I could go out and put my resumes out and and still potentially get a job in ministry because, I mean, I don't have a scarlet letter, whether it's because I wasn't married to him or because I'm a man. I'm just saying that, so like the thing, because I've had people give this pushback, well, just have her go out and put her resumes out. We know a we lady, know a lady. <laughs> who, is, who is highly gifted and her husband had an affair. She had to walk away from the church that she founded. And now she has put resumes out and no one will touch her. And there have been big, there are big churches. She got through multiple rounds and they said, you're qualified, you're great, oh, but, but it's you're too divorced. close to the divorce, yeah. too close. It's been a year, but how is... 
she's not trying to remarry somebody and yeah. she didn't do it. Right. And her husband, he actually isn't in the pulpit anymore, but he still denies to her and the kids. He's with the mistress, but he's with the mistress. And so she's not hireable. Although she has 40 years of being a missionary and a pastor, she's coming to the retreat this coming month. Um, and I'm just like, you are making me have hope because you put a resume together and you said, she said, Sonny, I was called to ministry when I was four years old. My husband and myself doing ministry for 40 years together and now he's not, doesn't take my calling away. Yeah. But yet she got really high up the ranks in two powerhouse churches. But in the end, it's too close to her divorce. Uh, it's too much. This is too much for these women to bear. And that's honestly what, what the outcry is, is it's too much for us to bear. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, it's too much for me to bear. Mm. Like I, like I go, cognitive I'm, dissonance. I want to, I want to step in and help. But the last time you did, that, well, that's yeah. the attack. Is we we face. said we'll give money, and and so I want to go back to that. We said we're gonna we're gonna commit to pay your mortgage, and so that's actually what's getting pointed out from a few naysayers is she doesn't need it, and to your point about. Okay, Sonny's executive pastor. I'm lead pastor. And another pushback is some of these wives, they didn't have a role on a title at the church anymore because the pastor had gotten to a point. He made enough money. It, there was enough that he didn't have her around. Now that might've been her choice or not, but I would, I would say to the whole theory of if both were on staff and, and the woman loses her job, what about the one that she stayed home? One thing I noticed is a lot of these men, they got, they're like, let's have more babies. And there's so many kids at home. And it's, man, my wife, we, I have five, six, seven kids. The wife is at home. She's called. She helped plant the church. She was part of it. Was it might have started in their living room. But now they go, well, she wasn't actually involved. She actually, I mean, she stayed home. It wasn't like she was even in the office. So yeah, she's lost her way of life but she was living high. And, and we're talking about celebrity pastors. So yeah, they did well. That's kind of the whole point. Is it, is it even okay there to say, well, she didn't actually work at the church. So why is she getting any kind of settlement? She lost her everything. Well, <laughs> I, I think that it's easy to get lost in the weeds of the money. Mm -hmm. That's where people are hung up. Yeah. Where I'm concerned is the loss of community. That they're at their most vulnerable point. And they're losing their mind. They're wounded. Yes. They're damaged. They're, the person who they stood at an altar and said, till death do us part, broke that covenant. It is a covenant. Like you can't, you can't even break a biblical covenant. Like they broke the covenant of the very thing that God used to describe his relationship with the church. So they've broken a double covenant. They broke their covenant of marriage with their wife and with God's wife. But see you next Sunday. I'll be preaching in a new series. <laughs> yeah, because he's good, because he's gifted, because he's talented. And so, yes, there needs to be men that'll hold these other men to account, number one. And some of it may be the way that you hold them to account is that you break relationship with them. And that, I had guys do that to me. I'm not just talking about pie in the sky. Like this stuff happened mm -hmm. to me and it impacted me. And because it impacted me, it caused me to seek healing. 
Like when you lose almost all your relationships, when you lose your money. reputation, your money, your cars, your house, everything, it causes you to have to sit there and go, well, maybe I was wrong. And I had to do that. I had to come to the realization that, yes, I was wrong. And and here's the thing. You lost everything in that. That's a natural offshoot of that. I lost everything. You lost everything. But it certainly wouldn't have been fair if you lost everything and I didn't lose anything. Right. You were the one applying at Lowe's and TSA. Yeah, McDonald's. I couldn't get a job. They were like, no, oh, bro, you, you're... One place would say I was overqualified. Another place said, TSA told me I couldn't get a job because I had bad credit. I said, well, I have bad credit because I lost my job and I'm behind on stuff. That's why I need a job. And I'm so happy that that's ha- that happened because yeah. it's like the prodigal son that he came to the end of himself. He had no food. He's dirty. And he's like, he was forced to have to come back to the father. That is not happening. That is plain and simple. What we're seeing is that when it's, well, hey, bro, like I used to speak for you. Come speak for me. And yeah, I, how about you consult for churches? That's a real common one. Well, can you, well, you can consult or come be on staff at my church. Yeah. That's not throwing you out to the pigs. We're saying we need your help, listener who has the power and the authority to do it. Not to, we're not trying to ask you to go out and embarrass someone. We're right. saying do what Fulton Buntain did to Sean. The whistleblowing is call him up and say, you know what? you got to step down. You know that's right. You know that just because you remarried this woman and you're doing women's conferences with all the speakers that make it look good or this person's over here taking pictures in the green room with this pastor that got through looking shiny again, um, that's not the way to go. Like, it's not, like, the facade, you're, you're not satisfied. You can't be satisfied. You can't feel good about this. But the problem is they haven't come to the end of themselves. The women, the women and children, I mean, they were forced to come to the end of themselves. And that's why I think that's why I've got, you know, multiple retreats that are filling up. These women have no money and they're paying the small amount I have to charge so I can cover food. I'm not even able to charge the amount for the reserve, the facility to cover all our costs, but they're willing to put out the money to get healing, we're extending low discounted rates or I'm letting women just come because they're saying, I have come to the end of myself. Yeah. But some of these men need to, and some of these women, I can also tell you, I mean, these men have remarried their mistress and these women are praying for their ex-husband. They would take them back in marriage and they're already remarried. They they want their father of their children to be healthy and whole. They're like, I know he's a good man. And they know like abuses from childhood that led to this point. And so there's still a heart for them. So it's just time. I mean, we needed to go there because we need some help and some people rising up because there's only been a few negative things about the podcast. There's been a lot of good po- things about the podcast, but the, the, the three few were big ones. And one of the other things that was said is, I'd hate, you, I'd hate to see you not be able to do ministry because basically because you're biting the wrong hand. Right. Well, And I just take that as a challenge and go, I, I, I mean, I'll search my heart on that. But if God told us to help the hurting and those who are repentant and hurting are coming forward to get help, 
why would I think that that's getting in the wrong camp and I need to get in the camp of the guys who aren't repentant? Yeah. I mean, I'm not interested in rolling around with the pigs. That's what the prodigal son was doing. Yeah. I think that there's a, uh, there's a couple of tracks that men of power can play in this. Number one is like you said, they can hold the people in their life to account. And what that looks like is that you can give them an out. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys, I would say this, that there is a group of guys. I'm not talking about the guys who got divorced and they got remarried, but I think that there's a group of guys that they would leave ministry if they thought they had another option. But a lot of them are holding in there because they don't think that they do. Right. So there, there are some powerful pastors and powerful churches who could help a guy and help him step away. And I mean, we do know, you know, help him find, like, well, like when we had our fall, you know, uh, we had a pastor here in Green Bay. This is before we ever pastored here, years before we ever pastored here, who, who he knew some people who had a rental house and he didn't get it for us for free because you, you'll value things as much as you put into them. So he got us a rental house for $500 a month. That normally would have been like two thousand a month. So there's guys that can help with that. There's like you know people in your churches who they they have places where guys can stay if they go through a restoration thing. Don't just have them go on a on an outing or on a retreat and think that yeah, that's going to take fix a three it. week yeah. vacation. Yeah, and then and then number two is if you have somebody who's in your network who has done what we're talking about and walked away from their family and now has a new family but you were friends with their old family. Have the courage to support their old family. Mm. You, there are churches- They're widows and children. There are churches that have money mm-hmm. who could support her for a year. Or like yeah. the person that was on our podcast, clearly they didn't need the, the Clearly from what we're hearing, people are saying, well, she didn't need the money. But as she was speaking- I felt in my spirit, like God was like, I want you to help them. And on that podcast, I said, I want to set up a fund mm-hmm. that helps the mm-hmm. wives of people who have moral failures and who won't own it. And I think this is just my inclination. I haven't asked this person that. I think that they didn't refute me offering them money because they were so caught off guard that I did offer them money. Because after... The podcast, this person said, that's so kind of you, but blah, 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 but, blah. And, kind and, of and then has things. given more to the exchange yes, collaborative has. than any other supporter so far to date. Absolutely. Every penny we've given her and more has been donated to the exchange collaborative yeah. to help yeah. this very thing. So sh- she is, is giving it right back and more. Just yeah. so that's nice to clarify that. <laughs> yeah. So... I mean, in in the spirit of this podcast, uh, talking about that there's a rise after the fall, we've got to help people. Sometimes you got to help people into the fall. And when you said maybe help them find a place to live, also help them find a job at a car lot. That's another part of Kendall's story is that he went to and sold cars. And, um, And that was a that's a pill to swallow when somebody who used to be in your church is now buying a car from you and is like, oh my gosh, Um, help them. Like Barry was our first. You had him on a few episodes or last episode. Uh, We said, we got him a job at a car lot. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And, and 
a cheap rental house. Yep. And Pastor when, Buntain's famous line used to be, you could go sell shoes at Nordstrom. Yeah. So <laughs> there is something you can help. We're, what we're not encouraging, in fact, we're discouraging, is pastor, don't get them. Even if it's not in the pulpit, don't get them in ministry. We, we've been, We've all been in ministry long enough to know, and you preached about it this morning, with opposition, there's opportunity, but with opportunity, there's opposition. Why would you give someone an opportunity in ministry when it is spiritually based yeah. and Satan already hates them to then have more pressure put on and they're not fit? They're, we're de- what this comes down to is they're not fit for the ministry. Yeah, Period. We, we have to love the church enough yes. to withhold it from bandits. Yeah, so this is a call to arms. This is a uh, pastor please uh, call someone. This is a, if you're listening to this, send it to a pastor of power who can then reach out to the people that need to be reached out to. And then we need to, I don't have a fund set up yet. Um, but I mean, people giving to the exchange collaborative at this point, you know, we've so far been able to help women and pastors to without them needing a lot of money because the Exchange Collaborative can scholarship and can help. But the goal would be that we have yet a separate fund that is to be able to help wives and children. And I mean, maybe it's going to be sometimes some guy and his wife, you know, did this to him and he needs the help. But reality is a wives and children foundation where we can help people with monthly bills, maybe legal bills. We have someone on our lead team, he's a lawyer and he's getting these ladies in touch with people who could be lawyers, but the problem is most lawyers say, I'm not able to do it pro bono. So yeah. like, will we be able to help pay with pay lawyer fees? And so um, we're not on here to raise the money because we don't have that foundation yet. You can definitely give to the Exchange Collaborative if you believe in the vision. This is more of a, let's sound the alarm. Uh, will you call some people? Will you call some pastors? It's well overdue. Um, because we want to be a part of their rise after the fall. We just want them to fall all the way first. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, and so now we have a campus to do that on, a, a 20-acre property to do that on, as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in 
a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction, but what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money, and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, They gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And someone had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.